I'm Jason Palmer, one of the hosts of The Intelligence, The Economist's daily current affairs podcast. The Economist's award-winning shows make sense of what matters, from our special series on China's president to our weekly podcasts on business, technology, and American politics. Our journalists provide fair, in-depth reporting on the events shaping the world. Search for Economist Podcasts Plus and sign up to our free one-month trial. It's time to say goodbye to hold music and say hello to fast customer support with Service Cloud. With trusted AI and data working together, you can skip long wait times and deliver efficient, personalized service right away. All while keeping support costs low and more customers happy. Reimagine your customer support with the number one AI CRM for service. Learn what's possible at Salesforce.com/products/service. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Oren Davis about employee well-being, inclusion, and becoming an employer of choice. Davis, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks so much, Jonathan. I am excited to have a chance to talk with you. It's been fun chatting in the pre-interview,、um, just as we're getting to know each other a little bit.、Um, and really, we have a lot of overlapping interests and background. And I look forward to having a chance to talk with you today about、um, HR and hiring strategies and creating really great、um, organizations where people. You know, want to work there.、Uh, as we get started, I want to share、uh, your bio with the listeners. Warren Davis earned the first doctorate、uh, in positive psychology and is a self-actualization engineer who en- enables people to do、uh, and be their best. He consults, lectures, and does workshops for companies worldwide on hiring strategies, culture, innovation, diversity, equity, and inclusion,、uh, positive psychology, and employee well-being. In addition to being an executive and career coach, Dr. Davis also serves as, a, as an adjunct professor of business and as a startup advisor who helps early-stage companies enhance their value propositions, pitches, culture, and human capital.、Uh, a really great background, and oh my goodness, two doctorates!、Um, yeah, just one. What, what's that? Just one. Oh, what, just what the one.、Enough? Okay. <laughs> I was like, I was like, man. So.、Um, Doctor in positive psychology. You're an engineer.、Um, really great, interesting background, and、um, I look forward to discussing all this with you. Anything you'd like to share before we get started?、Uh, just that. So、uh, where I did grad school, it was just a combined degree. So you, I had、oh. two concentrations: positive psychology, organizational behavior, and they put them together. So really, I was studying thriving in the workplace, like human thriving in the workplace, and also just looking at the relationship between. 
how companies thrive and how employees thrive and really how that does need to be an upward spiral and mutually beneficial that, you know, you can't have one without the other, really. Well, absolutely. Um, and one of the things I know you do a lot of work with is, you know, around really creating dynamic workplaces, work cultures, um, and, and helping employers become employers of choice uh, mm -hmm. so that, so that people want to go there and they want to not just to show up and stay for a year or two, but they want to stay, they want to be a part of the organization. Um, so what do you think organizations can do to become an employer of choice? So I think there are a couple things. The first one is to actually have a clear set of values and a clear value proposition. You know, what, when people work for your company, they want to create value. They, they, you know, it sounds cliche, but it's really something that's meaningful to people to make the world a better place. And you know, when you're working for a company, if you understand how you contribute to the company's product or service and why that product or service is really something good, then that's something you can stick your teeth into as well as, you know, just your effort into. And the second thing is having a growth trajectory as you do it. So you don't just want to have a job but you want a job that enables you to grow in life. And there, there are two ways that can happen. One is that you know, your job is the way that you grow, so that's sort of your path to self-actualization, that you take this work and this work is part of your calling, and the company is giving you opportunities to do your best, to be your best, to grow, to learn. The other way to do that, though, is that for some people, their jobs are what fund their passion. So some people, for example, They've got their day job, and that is, you know, what they do to make money because they've got the skills to do that, and they can do something that is useful, but their real passion is something outside. That could be volunteering, that could be, um, you know, nonprofit, that could be any number of other important things that they do or that they, you know, discover later in life, and so they want to spend more time on, but they need to get, they need to make money, so they use their job to fund growth in their passions. And as long as they've got a job and a, an employer that understands that that's what's going on, and it's very, it's very readily supportable because these people are motivated to do the work considering that they need the money to fund their passions. And as, as long as they can work that with the manager and with the company, that, that's still a growth trajectory. So, you know, people can do that. They need a company that understands that they're human beings and that when they're doing knowledge work, you know, that they're using their heads you don't use your head without using your heart or without your spirit. So you really need to be able to bring that to work. And that means that your company, your, your managers, your coworkers, they need to be able to recognize the fullness and authenticity of your humanity. And as long as the companies can do those three things, you, you really are an employer of choice. I love that. And I, I mean, all three elements I think are really essential. Uh, one of the things you said that really resonates with me is work as a calling. Uh, so having a, a more transcendent purpose to the work that you do. And, you know, people have all sorts of jobs and I've had many, many different types of jobs over the course of my life, um, starting as a young teenager, many of which I would probably never want to ever do again. Um, but, but I recognize that people have different driving uh, purpose behind what they do. I remember one job I had um, years ago. It was actually um, right after I'd spent a couple years uh, as a service volunteer abroad and I, I came home and I needed to earn some money to go to college. And so I ended up working in, this is in rural Missouri and, uh, and I needed a job to earn money. And so I, the best place that paid the most was in this factory. So I ended up working in this factory for six months 
And man, I never need, there's nothing else I did that provided more motivation to go to college um, and never look back than working in this factory because it was just kind of this tedious, mind-numbing work and, and it didn't do much for me. You know, uh, It served the purpose for a time and then I moved on. But what was really uh, interesting to me uh, while working there is that as much as I didn't like it, there were, I had many coworkers who loved their job and they had worked there for years. Uh, there's one guy that I would carpool with. He had been working there for 30 years and was getting close to retirement and he loved it, you know? So what didn't work for me worked really well for him and it served his needs and that's great. Um, so everyone has different drivers and everyone has different kind of purpose, but ultimately if, if we have the ability as employees to see a purpose in our work and if we have an ability as organizational leaders to help our people understand the the broader um, purpose behind their work you know then you can you can cultivate this sense of calling in your work and and that meaning that purpose really does matter uh, there's and there's so much research um, that supports that so so yeah, absolutely. I love I love the idea of work is a calling and and that we have the ability to impact people outside of ourselves through the work that we do. And, and let's be honest, we, we spend the vast majority of our lives working um, outside the home. I mean, maybe not now because of COVID, everyone's <laughs> hunkered down, but I mean, normally we're working outside the home, we're away from our families, we spend all this time, we want it to matter. We want that um, to, to have meaning um, in the broader society. So it is cliche, but it's true. Absolutely, and for people to have a purpose in life and a calling, whether it's um, at work or through work or funded by work, it's something that really does drive us and it gets us out of bed every morning. Absolutely. One of the aspects I really like about your background is your work with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, those elements are so very important to organizations, and yet they still continue to struggle with how to create a safe work environment, uh, how to help everyone feel like they can make a meaningful contribution. Uh, what do you do when you go into organizations as a consultant to work with them on diversity, equity, and inclusion issues? And how do you help them identify the problems and how to fix them? And people are too busy focusing on the numbers, and that's, that's mistake number one. Don't focus on the numbers. It's like, yeah, as I've written elsewhere, that's like taking your temperature. You take your temperature, it comes out, and, you know, if, if you've got a fever, all that means is that you've got a fever. You're sick with something, but you don't know what it is. And you've got to look, at, you got to look inside. You've got to go you know, see the doctor. You've got to run a bunch of tests. You've got to see what's really happening. It's the same thing when you're looking at your diversity numbers. If they're not good, that doesn't tell you anything. It just tells you something's wrong. Something. Some vast, in the vast array of things that could be wrong. So one of the first things to do is consider how you think about talent. Whom are you hiring? How are you hiring um, whom are you promoting? How are you treating people at work? What's the culture like? And uh, I point out that actually one of the best metrics for this, who's eating? So when you bring food into the company, when there's any get together of any kind that involves food, is everybody eating? 
And I found over and over again that that is one of the best indicators that you've got uh, good inclusion that, and that people are really able to bring themselves to work because dietary restrictions are often a very, very personal thing. And so many different people have different dietary restrictions and yet it really genuinely is possible to accommodate all of them at once. It takes a little effort, a little. And no, it's not always the fanciest thing out there and not everybody is you know, going to eat the fanciest food, but you know what? It doesn't matter how fancy what you bring in is if half the people in the room can't eat it. Or if there's, you know, if, if everybody in the room is eating it except one person, and everybody's got these nice full plates of delightful food and there's one person sitting there with a glass of water, you, I, I, that, that, should be, that should be screaming red klaxons at you. You know, flags, klaxons, the whole thing, like there is something wrong here. And those little things that people think about, um, those are in a certain sense cosmetic things, but they're cosmetic things that require bringing in a much more thoughtful perspective on who works with you and who works for you and who they are and the, the selves that they're bringing to work. That's one, but a, a, along those lines also, it's stop looking only at, uh, for example, skin color as an issue of diversity or ethnicity or gender. There's a lot more to it than those things. And, and the people, people are shaped by those demographics, but that's not all they are. And so much of what we are is not going to be visible. Even, you know, even if you see somebody of a particular gender or ethnicity, that's not all there is to them. There are a lot, there's a lot more to them than that. And how they live their lives that way, that's going to matter a lot as well. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. Um, it's, you know, people, I think, tend to have good intentions. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is good intentions don't always produce good outcomes. And because we have systems in place, uh, in many organizations that systematically um, work against certain populations of, of individuals, you know, we have to check our biases. We have to check the implicit biases that we might have as individuals, but we also have to check the biases that might be institutionalized and built into the processes, the procedures, the policies, the systems that are in place in an organization. Uh, and so I like how you take an asset-based approach um, to dealing with, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, and helping organizations think about uh, what they're doing and how they can do it even better. Um, and, you know, because a deficit-based approach usually just gets people defensive. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is, you know, we need, to, we need to do better, and we can do better as long as we are intentional, uh, as long as we give it the time and the energy, uh, so that we can um, make a, a positive impact and, and create a safe environment, create a place where people want to be. And that's really closely linked to being an employer of choice, as we talked about earlier. Uh, yeah. If you want to be an employer of choice, you need to be an inclusive organization. Um, because, you know, you're, you're really limiting your pool of candidates for a job if you have to, if they have to fit like this really narrow mold of, of what they look like, what they talk like, how, you know, how they talk, what they act like, how they think. Um, and in today's world, we need diverse um, thinking. We need diverse um, organizations 
that are agile and adaptive and can respond to uh, quickly, rapidly shifting consumer demand and, and competitive pressures. And man, that's just really hard when you have everyone who looks, acts, thinks the same, um, and, and you end up in this like echo chamber, this bubble, uh, and you don't even know what you don't know. So, so creating diverse, equitable, inclusive environments, I think is so important and really vital to have to being an employer of choice. Uh, so I love that work. Truth that, that is. Truth that is. I, I, I definitely have to add one more thing to that is that companies need to know why diversity is important. And I'm going to add this as well. It's not about social justice because social justice is only part of the issue. The value that having a diverse set of employees brings to the company is something that the company needs to decide at the bottom line. Because at the end of the day, you know, we can, we do, we can, we must put in effort towards social justice. And that's critical. But also companies need to make a dollar. And companies do need to make profits. And there are pressures for that. And diversity does contribute to profit. But every company needs to look at the precise mechanisms for how, for why, what actually uh, promotes the value proposition of the company and how diversity actually makes that happen. Because a lot of people that say, well, diversity they thought is a good thing. I asked them why, and they can't tell me. And if they can't tell me why diversity is thought is a good thing, then you're going to have people to push back on it because there's, there is, there is a downside. Like there's, you know, there's upsides, downsides to everything. One of the downsides to diversity of thought is that it's harder to achieve consensus. Because when everybody has a different opinion, I mean, you definitely get a wide range of views and perspectives, and that's great. But at the end of the day, you can only go in one or two directions. You can't go in the 20 different directions that everybody's bringing. So how do you get consensus? And so you have to find the right balance of diversity, but also the ability to make consensus and the and to have a culture where as long as you've got diversity, you also need to be able to have disagree and commit. Where I may not like where we're all going here, but you know, I've been able to voice what I think, I've been heard, I've been respected, and now that we have brought consensus here, I, I, I don't agree with what we're doing, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the team anyway. And that's that's also a, a culture of respect, uh, an inclusive culture where everybody can be heard and respected, that also makes a difference. But companies really need to get into this why they need the diversity and to recognize that diversity, you know, going for diversity, hiring for diversity, also means getting the best talent that they can find and that that really is going to affect their bottom line. As indirect as that might be and as much as you cannot calculate that ROI, it's still a critical part of the ROI. Absolutely. I, I wholly agree. Um... Great, great thoughts. We're about out of time. Uh, I do want to give you a chance to share with the listeners how they can get in uh, contact with you, how they can learn more about what you're doing uh, and reach out to you. Sure. Um, people can find my website, www.qllab.org. That's qllab.org. Uh, people can find me on Medium, Oren Davis, and also on Twitter as Dr. Oren Davis. Awesome. Thank you so much. It has been a real pleasure talking with you today. Uh, I really encourage my listeners to reach out to Oren, find out more about him, get connected with the good work that he's doing. Uh, and Oren, I hope that perhaps we can have a chance to continue this discussion another time where we can talk about some other facets. 
Uh, it's been a great discussion. We just haven't had enough time. So uh, I look forward it, to it. it. It's fun. It's fun when you find someone uh, who, you know, really understands these nuances and, and, and where you can just bounce ideas off of each other. So I feel like uh, we could probably talk for hours uh, on these. Probably. Yes. <laughs> well, good. Very much a pleasure, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I hope everyone has a wonderful rest of their week and please stay healthy and safe. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.